Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 4th. Simply put, the tennis is too good to be week one on the calendar. It has been a roaring start to the 2023 season, and it always helps to have five events on the calendar. We have that this week with the tour-level play in Adelaide, Auckland, and India, the inaugural United Cup providing such fantastic tennis as well. And Once again, on today's show, I've got assorted thoughts from the past 24 hours in the pro tennis world. Now, much of my analysis today will be clouded by the matches I covered broadcasting for our dear friends at Tennis Channel. So fortunate to be on the call for matches on T2. Got to work with my dear friend, Brett Connors, who was my producer throughout the course of the day. Of course, on T2, we have the luxury to jump around between matches as such. I got the opportunity to watch much of Victoria Azarang a straight set win over Jung Chin Wen. Got to cover the majority of Sebi Corda's straight set win over Roberto Bautista Agut. Of course, everyone was tuned into the three-set thriller that was Venus Williams versus Ju Lin. And I also got the chance to peek my eyes on all sorts of other matches that happened over the course of the past 24 hours. There is nothing I enjoy more, I suppose, to ring in the new year than to have the opportunity to once again dive headfirst into all the highlights provided not only on TC Plus, but of course available on YouTube channels such as Tennis TV and of course the WTA account. Needless to say, Tennis is back. This mini break podcast is back. We're immensely grateful to all of you listeners who may have joined us throughout the course of the offseason. Certainly we were fortunate to have some big names and as he likes to say, there's always the Rothen boost whenever Ben Rothenberg joins the show. So whether it be he, David Kane, Gil Gross, or many of our other fantastic guests who brought you here, hopefully the podcast we have day in, day out throughout the course of the season will keep you. And we're immensely grateful that so many of you choose to turn to us for your day in, day out information of everything happening in the tennis world. Of course, we're not just covering the pros here at Cracked Rackets. We are nearly completed with our preseason countdown of our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams. The final episode comes out on Friday. You can listen to all of our top 10 previews over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Plenty of fun interviews interviews from this offseason over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well. All of that content available at our freshly renovated Cracked Rackets website. Shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff for the work he has done. Of course, with that said, again, want to run you through the past 24 hours at our big five events happening at the tour level this week. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get not only from you listeners, but of course, from our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Go to Tennis dash point.com to 
today to find all of the latest and greatest equipment available in the tennis world. You name the brand, they've got it. They're going to fit you right so that you can perform your best whenever you choose to step on the tennis court. Or maybe again, it's always gift season in a loving family. So maybe you just want to get something for that special tennis someone in your life. Everything you're looking for available at tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to not only let them know we sent you there, but get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, so many different places I could choose to start today's show. I'm going to choose to start with the WTA action in Adelaide. It's my favorite draw of the weekend. I think I'm going to be able to justify why pretty well with all of you listeners to all of you listeners, I should say, to use proper grammar. But the place I want to start in my coverage of Adelaide, watch out for Victoria Azarenka. As I alluded to earlier, I had the opportunity to really broadcast from first ball to last her straight set victory over rising WTA talent Jung Chin Wen Vika, ultimately a 6-2-7-5 win over the 20-year-old. And the biggest takeaway for me, looking at Vika from start to finish in this match, in her fitness in her first match, a 7-6-7-6 victory over Kalanina, she is just ready to go to start this 2023 season. She looks fit. She looks focused. She played with extraordinary discipline throughout the course of her victory today. And I really like the game plan she came out with. And it's a pretty straightforward game plan when you're facing Jung Chin Wen. I alluded to this on the broadcast today. I'm not sure how many of you tune into T2. Maybe some of you don't have Samsung devices. But the thing I alluded to was attacking Jung Chin Wen right now I don't think it's too dissimilar to how elite players attack Francis Tiafo, and that comparison between Jung Chin Wen and Francis Tiafo allow me to elaborate on it because I think it's a fun one. And again, early in the season, you're allowed to throw out half-baked thoughts like this. Both Jung Chin Wen and Francis Tiafo will never lack in the athleticism department. Both of them, I think, very fluid as movers. You give the edge to Tiafo over Jung Chin Wen, but for as powerful as Jung Chin Wen is as a player, as her ground strokes are, she's also extraordinarily fluid, not only moving backwards and forward, but moving laterally in and out of the outer thirds. I think that's what makes her so impressive is not only does she have the clear-cut weapons, but she's got the athleticism to use those weapons in non-ideal portions of the court. The point is, Francis Diafo is obviously another player you would say that about, and certainly I think both players very fluid on the backhand wing, their ability to generate depth, action on that ball, equally impressive relative to their respective tours. The big comparison for me is how you attack those players, and that's by playing big through their forehands. And I think it that's where the most apparent similarity is. I mean, both Francis Tiafo Junction when big backswings when hitting their forehands. Both of them rely on their elite athleticism, elite twitchiness to generate elite racket speed, which makes up for the extreme grips. And look, when both of them have time on those forehand wings, it's as lethal and as action heavy as any forehands you'll see on the ATP or WTA tours. But again, both of them are susceptible to being attacked with pace, with depth through that forehand wing. And to get back to what made Victoria Azarenka so impressive, not only 
does she look incredibly fit? Was she moving so well in and out of the outer thirds of the court? She was winning the longer rally. She was able to absorb some first, second strikes from Jung Chin Wen to draw the eventual error. But she did a great job of playing fundamentally with pace through that forehand side of the court. And, you know, Vika faced a break point, four all, second set, down 30-40. Vika, from there, three serves to the Jung Chin Wen forehand, set up two easy attacking opportunities. Jung uh, Chin Wen missed out on one of those returns as well. She escapes to hold. She remains the front runner. And again, ultimately, she closes things out in straight sets, did an exceptional job, not on top of the baseline, but taking the Jung Chin Wen serve on the rise whenever possible. And look, the big picture for the 20-year-old from China who you also have to watch out for, her first serve is elite. And you look at the numbers for her last season, she ranked eighth overall in hold percentage last year. She did that while primarily throughout the course, the first 10 months of the season. She was a teenager, 19 years old, top 10 server. Her first serve win percentage ranked second on the WTA Tour last year, trailed only Elena Rabakina in first serve win percentage. The problem is amongst top 50 players, she ranked 50th in first serve make. She made just 51.9% of her first serves last season. And look, when she makes the first serve, it's as effective as any player in the women's game already. You feel like as she learns to be more patient and just give herself more margin with that first ball, hit it, not necessarily to go for a winner every time, though she'll be able to do that as well, but to just use it to set up the rest of the point and guarantee she's in a winning position throughout it as that balance shifts towards the latter description, you know, the serve will become even more effective. That said, such low hanging fruit. If she makes, I don't know, 57% of her first serves, 59% of her first serves, God willing, she gets to the tour average of 61.6%. Now she's going to be an unequivocal top three server on the WTA tour. And again, you're saying this about someone who's 19, just turned 20 years old this past October. Jung Chin Wen is exceptional. And her 7-6 victory over Conteve in round one proved that. I thought she competed really well, despite the fact that, again, two all in the first set, she loses the first at 6-2, and the errors began to pile up, but she steadied the ship, breaks Vika right away to open set number two. Now, seeds that break back, but gets things to bonus time in the second set. Again, stock is still very much up for Jung Chin Wen, but why you need to watch out for Vika? Again, A, I can't emphasize this enough. This is an eye test thing. She looks fit as a fiddle. She looks jacked, to be honest. Just she's in playing shape. And Victoria Azarenka, 33 years old, you know, you ask yourself, what has Vika really been in this pandemic era? Because while she's been, you feel like frisky around the edges, what has she really done overall? Well, since August 1st, 2020, Victoria Azarenka, 72 and 27 overall in the 99 matches she's played on the WTA Tour. She's 72 and 27. She's winning 73% of her matches for her career. Victoria Azarenka won 70.3%. And look, it's not the years where she racked up 10-plus weeks as the number one player in the world. It's not the years where she racked up an over 80% single-season win percentage. But you look at the hold and break percentage, she's right around her career averages, still for sure a top 15 returner, breaking serve over 40% of the time in each of the last five seasons. The first serve's not at the peaks that it was back in 2011, 2012, 2013, when she was unequivocally one of the three best players in the world. But 
she's still an effective server. You know, she's still a top 30 server who, when she is clicking with that first serve as she was today, uh, will have easy opportunities for herself to create plus one chances. And again, the biggest thing for Vika, two and a half years, she's played 99 total matches. She hasn't been the healthiest. You look for her overall 24 and 12, only 36 matches in her last 52 weeks. That's why she slipped to number 26 in the rankings. Yeah, she's been really good when we've seen her. We just haven't been able to see that much of her in particular that much consistently. But, you know, ends the year, round of 16 U.S. Open, semifinals in Guadalajara, got wins over Bedosa, Keys, and Goff before getting knocked out by Pagula. Now two impressive wins for very different reasons. Kalanina, she was just ready to survive the physicality of that match. Junction when she executed brilliantly. She absorbed the first strike. She continued to move well. She just looks fit. She looks ready. I mean, again, when you look at the stats from this match today, the biggest difference is that first serve percentage. Azarenka made 69% of her first serves, 29 of 37 behind that first serve, 9 of 17 on the second serve. Jung Chinwen made 54%. Won 70% of those first serve points, 10 aces, to Vika's one on the day, but 13 of 34 on the second serve. And because Vika returned so well when given even a first serve, when you give her that additional stretch of time, it just pushed Junction went on the back foot. In particular, Vika consistently attacked with pace through the forehand wing. And that's why Vika, despite facing some break points at the end of the second set, despite going down a quick two-love deficit, she's ultimately able to get through this match in straight sets. And I mean, again, we're what? Nine slams removed from Victoria Azarenka making that slam final and making back-to-back finals, Western Southern Open, U.S. Open, where she was unequivocally the second best player behind Naomi Osaka in August 2020. We're not that far removed from that. Obviously, Iga has emerged on the scene. That's a new dynamic, but Ashley Barty's also gone away. And again, the perennial question, okay, Iga's one, but who's two right now on the WTA Tour? The level I saw from Victoria Azarenka, again, this is a major overreaction, but I test-wise, Vika has played as well, or she played as well in this Junction Wen match. A match Junction Wen did not play poorly, wasn't at her best, but did not play poorly. Vika made one unforced error in the first set. She played well enough today to win the 2023 Australian Open. Keep your eyes out for Victoria Azarenka, who now, of course, will take on the uber-talented Linda Naskova. And I know I talked about the 18-year-old a little bit earlier this week. I'm all in. I'm pushing all of the chips into the center in my Linda Naskova stock ownage throughout the course of this 2023 season. Of course, you look for Naskova was a top 10 junior in the world, won the 2021 Junior French Open. 18 years old, she's into a second quarterfinal at the tour level of her career. Naskova 16-5 and five in her last 52 weeks in tour-level play. Now, there were a lot of qualifying matches in that mix, but she qualifies for Roland Garros, three-set loss to Emma Raducanu, you know, gets into the Prague main draw as a wild card, wins over Vikalian Seva, Cornet, now Hibino before a very fun 6-3 and three loss to eventual champion Marie Buzkova. I mentioned she qualified for Roland Garros. She qualified to the, at the U.S. Open before a three-set loss to Marie Buzkova. She qualified in Tallinn, beats Diane Perry, former world junior number one in three sets before a tight one-in-five loss to Beatrice Haddad-Maya. You look at what she's done in Adelaide to kick off the season. Wins over Kalinskaya in three, Potapova, Kasikina in three, and now her most dominant win to date, two-and-two two over Claire Liu, where the power tennis Naskova was able to produce just over overwhelmed Lou. 
Nasco I, I honestly feel very similar to Naskova, and I think she plays fairly similarly to Clara Tossin. That you know, again, both of them outrageous power, outrageous fluidity. Whenever they get a clean look at a backhand, the difference is Naskova doesn't have the extreme grip on her forehand wing that Tossin does. I probably like the Tossin first serve a little bit better than I like the Naskova first serve right now, but it was a pretty clean serving performance for Naskova today. And then I really love the Naskova forehand. And yeah, the backswing gets a little big, but it's not an extreme grip. And the power off of both wings is so effortless. She's willing to move forward even if she's not the best volleyer right now. I mean, again, you look at just these past few years of play overall for Naskova. She goes uh, 38-10 and 10 playing just about every match at the, the ITF level in 2021. Follows that up with a 40-17 and 17 season last year, including going 12-5 and 5 overall in tour-level play, qualifying for the U.S. Open, for the French Open. Now she starts out this year by making her second career WTA tour-level quarterfinal. Again, the first came last year in Prague. You look for Linda Naskova. She, with this quarterfinal run, has further ensconced herself inside the top 100, up to number 82 in the live rankings, a new career high. Here's your fun fact. The youngest player inside the top 100 of the WTA rankings right now. Linda Fruvertova, number 79, at 17.6. Naskova second, just turned 18 years old. She's a little younger than Coco Goff, a little younger than Diana Schneider, who's not quite in the top 100, but on the precipice of it. You know, again, Naskova, former Junior Slam champion, I think she ends the year inside the top 50. I'm that in on Linda Naskova. And the next time I do a tier one podcast, the discussion of her talent will absolutely be brought up. Very likely with David Kane, actually. Actually, I might have that conversation with him on Monday because if Naskova beats Vika and she is not favored to, Vika 82.6% favorite. But I mean, the weapons Naskova brings to the court are real. And she's got confidence. She's done a lot of winning at every stage of her career thus far. I'm all in on that Adelaide quarterfinal. And again, there's a lot of good Adelaide action lined up throughout the course of this opening championship weekend. You look elsewhere in this draw. We mentioned earlier in the week Sabalenka von Drusova coming up tomorrow. Sabalenka 3-2 and two, career head-to-head. Tennis Abstract has Sabalenka as a 61.4% favorite. We mentioned Veronica Kudermatova who earned that from four love down, six four, six love, 12 straight games, wins over Bianca Andrescu. That was just a weird match. Kudermatova looked good, but it was just a weird match. I thought she was going to play Elena Ostapenko. And after Ostapenko raced out to a 3-1 lead today against Bagu, that seemed likely. But Irina Camilla Bagu then wins the next 11 consecutive games. 6-3, 6-love win for the Romanian Bagu, 32 years old. She played really well to end last season, made uh, a run to the title in Palermo. Round of 16 in Cleveland, won a match at the U.S. Open, won a 125K in Bucharest, quarterfinals in Parma, all of that to end the year. She's 32-16 and 16 in her last 52 weeks of competition. Folks, for the first time in 2023, I get to say these words. That's the two-thirds rule. You win two-thirds of your matches, you're making a ton of quarterfinals. And you look for Bagu over the course of these last 52 weeks. She's made four quarterfinals, three of them at the tour level, one of them coming again on a run to a 125K title in Bucharest. That's how you work yourself even closer to a new career high. And right now, Bagu, 32 years old, she's sitting at 32 in the rankings, 10 spots off her career high. 
as of right now, she'll be seated at the 2023 Australian Open. And I can look this up, but I do wonder how many times in her career she has been seated, if ever, at a slam. Probably once or twice, considering she did get up to that 22 career high. But two-thirds world champion, Arena Camilla Bagu. It's like a it's an off-brand Carolina Pliskova to those who haven't seen Bagu play. She's best when her feet are set. She's got easy power, not elite power like Pliskova, but easy power off the forehand and backhand wing. She doesn't necessarily bend her knees that frequently, but she's a she's a much more fluid mover than Carolina Pliskova, although that fluid uh, fluidity in movement probably is offset by her lack of power. Still, Bagu played well and just again withstood the first blow, was able to extend rallies, draw errors out of and Ostapenko, who is ready to lose that match. And so Bagu is through. She's 0-1 in her career against Kudermatova. Kudermatova is 66.2% favorite. Again, those are fun quarterfinals. Azarenka Naskova, Vondrusova Sabalenka might be the best match of the weekend anywhere. Kudermatova Bagu, a little bit funky, but it wouldn't be a first week. There wasn't at least a little bit of funk. And then, of course, you've got Marta Kostyuk awaiting the winner of the Onjabur Serana Kirstea round of 16 match that has yet to be played as of this recording. That said, that's your action in Adelaide. As of right now, Jabur still a 27.2% favorite, Sabalenka 21.6, then Azarenka at 18.4, Kudrovatova 14.8. So I know there's only eight players left. What that tells me is right now there is no clear-cut favorite, according to the tennis abstract singles forecast. Let's stay in Adelaide, but let's move over to the men's side. It was a fun day of action throughout the course of the round of 16 play. We saw unfold, of course, the perhaps most notable thing that comes out of Adelaide. Novak Djokovic earns another victory to kick off his 2023 season. But look, he got tested. I had the chance to watch a lot of this match, which was the match that unfolded prior to me taking over the broadcast. Shout out to my guy, Ari Wolf, who does a phenomenal job in his work for Tennis Channel. It was a 6-6 six and six victory for Novak Djokovic over the continuing to be on the rise 26-year-old Frenchman Quinton or Quinton Halice. I mean, Halice was one of the Challenger superstars last season. I believe he made the most finals of anyone on the Challenger Tour. Seven Challenger finals for him. I believe it was 11 Challenger quarterfinals. And he pulled the Greek spore. He pulled the Bonzi. He lifted himself to a new career high. He sits at number 64 to start this 2023 season. When I watch Halice play... It reminds me a ton of the Chilean, Nicolas Iari, both in their form. They go after the first serve. They both have that weird twist to their forehand take back, but then they uncork on the forehand with exceptional power. Look, Quinton Halise has weapons, and you go 6-6 six and six with Novak Djokovic, you get broken once throughout the course of the match, and, you know, again, Halise breaks Djokovic right to start, although Djokovic, 40-30, has a game point, has this high volley that he misses in the net that he just hit too casually, he should have held in that first game, and, you know, he was down 5-2, one break of serve, I guaranteed Brett Connors that Djokovic was going to win the first set, of course, he goes on to do that, 7-6, and then again, no breaks of serve in that second set, Halise certainly faced some pressure at the end of it, did a great job continuing to charge the net, mixing in backhand slice with then in the second set being much more willing to hit through that ball and play with the same sort of make or miss mentality that he does on the forehand wing. 
Halise played at a top 50 level. You know, Djokovic said top 10 level after the match. I disagree with that assessment. I thought it was a top 50 level, certainly. You know, again, when Djokovic found the backhand, when Djokovic was able to do the Djokovician things, he gets broken for two love in that third game of the opening set. Djokovic hits a laser down the line forehand passing shot to set up a breakpoint chance. He doesn't ultimately convert, but... You know, again, it dips the backhand low. They're just vintage moments of Novak Djokovic, who looks in form. He was broken in his opening service game, wasn't broken in the rest of his 11 service games on the match. You look for Djokovic winning over 80% of his first serve points. He's just so accurate with his plus one ball now, and each year he seems to hit it maybe one mile per hour harder, which doesn't sound like it's that much, but with the incredible precision, the fact that he can continue to add pace to that ball, his plus one forehand is just better than it has ever been. And that's why last year he put together one of the three best serving seasons of his career. Djokovic is through to the quarterfinals and it sets up a blockbuster match in, with Denis Shapovalov. And again, when I look at Quentin Halise, er, now 10 and 25 in his career at the tour level, He's going to get to, uh, he's going to double that total at least by the end of this season. Halise currently sitting at number 63. The serve, the forehand on quick courts, his willingness to move forward. He's just going to be in winning positions, and that success feels very replicable because it's not as though he does anything extraordinary to try and generate the pace and the attacking opportunities that he was able to do again uh, today against Novak freaking Djokovic. So a loss on the results, uh, for the results, a win. For the long term, for Halise, that said, Djokovic through to the quarterfinals, where again, he's going to face an informed Shapovalov. Shapovalov drops a set, his opening set of the year to Australia's Rinky Hijikata, friend of the show. But since then, Shapo, 6-4, 6-3 in sets 2-3 and three against Hijikata, then 4-3 and three once again today against qualifier Roman Sefillian. Of course, look, Sefillian's not a terrible test for Novak, uh, a terrible excuse me, dry run for Djokovic, Sefillian's ability to hit through the backhand, absorb and redirect pace, his, you know, willingness to change direction with his forehand wing. Now, obviously, it's an off, 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 off-brand version of Novak Djokovic, but getting a look at that sort of backhand, not a bad thing for Shapo. And look, he faced one break point throughout the course of the match. Now, he was broken in the opening set, but quickly got that break back and one eight four percent of his first serve point, sixty eight percent of the second serve was so explosive with his first strike, and just he has the elite power. It's the question of how consistent can he be. He is one of the make or break players of twenty twenty three. A podcast I swear I will record at some point in this first month of the year, but very encouraging for Shapovalov into the quarterfinals of his opening event in Adelaide. You look for him last season, Dennis Shapovalov made it eight quarterfinals overall on the year. Obviously had a massive gap between his Rome quarterfinal and his Seoul quarterfinal at the end of September, but he's now made five quarterfinals since that run in Seoul. Five quarterfinals in his last, what, eight events? That's about as consistent of a run as we've seen from Denis Shapovalov over an eight-event run out of any span of his career. So it's a small, small sample size, but awfully encouraging if you are a Denis Shapovalov fan. And I mean, look, he's 0-7 in his career against Djokovic, has absolutely nothing to lose tomorrow. That, my friends, should be a popcorn match. Of course, the other big result we have to talk about from Adelaide, how about Seppi Korda 
it just feels like the serving we saw from him and the indoor portion to end last year where he made back-to-back finals. It feels like that serving is real. And you look for Korda today. He wasn't broken in his victory over a guy who finished seventh in break percentage throughout the course of the 2022 season in Roberto Bautista Agu. You look for Sepi Korda in his 4-4 four four win. He won the first nine points of this match. And, you know, again, 12 aces against no double faults. He made 72% of his first serves, won 80% of those points. 12 aces on the day. He hit the out wide serve on the do side better than I had ever seen him hit it. And just his ability to hit outside that ball on the service motion while also being gen- able to generate plenty kick when he wants to go that route. It was an elite sor- serving performance today from Sebi Korda, a guy who finished 11th in break percentage last season, but was not a top 25 guy in hold percentage. And you look at Korda, six foot four, five, maybe even six, certainly feels like he's growing into that frame with how easy it is for him to generate pace on the forehand and backhand wings. Feels like it'd be pretty easy for him to generate pace with his serve, but you got to keep in mind. This is a kid who had a lot of back injuries early in his career, who's been very delicate in how he's worked weightlifting, as I've mentioned a million times, into his res, uh, into his regime, into his anyway, uh, into his regiment. That's the word I was looking for. Hey, great shot. Uh, something's working right now. Again. He was able to serve his way out of so many different scenarios, only faced two break points in the match, saved them both each with big serves. He took away the thing Roberto Bautista Gut wants to do most. Bautista Gut is most comfortable when he's dictating from the ad corner, when he's hitting a million inside-out forehands in a row until he opens up just enough space to attack inside-in. Corda takes that away with how fluidly and how deep he hits his backhand when stretched on that wing. And Corda did a great job hitting his forehand on the run. He tries to play heavy on that ball, and sometimes it leads to shanked errors when he is on the run. But when he connects with it purely, it just resets the point back to neutral. That's how heavy he can hit off of both wings. And again, you look for Corda straight set wins now over Murray, over RBA, two physical wins where he out-physicaled his opponent. That's the start you're looking for if, like me, you think Sebi Korda is going to end the year as the top-ranked American man. And, I mean, again, popcorn matchups throughout the course of this weekend in Adelaide. I mentioned all the juice on the women's side. You look at the men's draw. I mean, it's unbelievable. Djokovic versus Shapo. Medvedev versus Hatchinov, which we talked about yesterday. Two Russians who are in the smack dab prime of their career. They're both 1996 born. Obviously, Medvedev made the Australian Open final last season, has already fallen outside of the top five, has a ton of points to defend here this month. Hatchinov trying to win his first title since the 2018 Paris title, trying to run off, uh, trying to build off of, excuse me, his U.S. Open semifinal run. That match means a lot. Yoshihito Nishioka has an open pathway to the top 25, which relatively how few points he has to defend these first five months. Alexi Popperin looking to hold on to a top 100 spot and prove the big serving, big forehand hitting Australian can be another one in the long line of talented Aussies right now on tour. I mean, that's fascinating, and maybe the best quarterfinal of them all. Seppi Korda, obviously, into the round, but there's a chance he faces Yannick Sinner. Sinner, as of this recording, in a battle, first set with Tanasi Kokonakis. And by the way, Kokonakis, with that Australia crowd, he's also popcorn throughout the course of every match that he plays in his home country. So, again, if it's Sinner-Korda, 
that could be a future Grand Slam final. Shapovalov, Djokovic, Medvedev, Hachinov, and then your funk that you need for first week event in Nishioka versus Paparin. Yeah, things are going to be juicy in Adelaide this weekend throughout the uh, and or throughout the course of this championship weekend. And again, I mentioned it on the women's side. No clear favorite according to the tennis for uh, abstract singles forecast. You look on the men's side. Djokovic, of course, forty three point seven percent favorite. After that, they're like, good luck to the rest of the field. Medvedev, Sinner, both in the double digits, but it's Djokovic's to lose, as to the surprise of no one, according to the advanced stats. Of course, we still have three other events I want to cover here on today's mini break podcast. Let's move next to the WTA event we've got going on in Auckland this week. Was it the prettiest tennis? No, it was not. But, I mean, look, anytime Venus Williams steps on the court, it's something we're going to celebrate here at Cracked Rackets. And even though she hasn't made a quarterfinal since Cincinnati back in 2019, before COVID-19 was ever on the minds of anyone, you know, Venus was on the precipice of doing just that. She served for this match up 5-4 in the second set. And you felt like when rain, which was such a big factor in Auckland today, you know, it was supposed to be a fantastic slate of matches that we were going to hopefully have a piece of over during our broadcast window at T2. Unfortunately, they just didn't get underway until that window closed. And, you know, as such, Kennan Goff became the TC featured match. We didn't get the chance to broadcast that. Didn't get the chance to watch much of it either. So I'll talk about that one a little bit more tomorrow when I have the chance to go back and watch the replay, but I got to watch a lot of sets two and three in the venus Julin matchup, and it reminded me a lot of the Serena Harmony-Tan matchup in that, look, Tan, much like Julin today, they knew what the objective was. You make 50 balls a rally. You make Venus, Serena, at this stage of their careers, just work, uh, you know, make an extra ball here, have to play three extra shots on that point, and just hope that death by a thousand paper cuts adds up. And case in point, Venus serves for the match. She's broken. Actually, a really nice backhand down the line for Ju Lin to, I believe, clinch. No, that might have been the five-all service game. But, you know, the big thing for Venus, she then goes up 15-40 in Ju Lin's five-all service game in the third set. And what does Ju Lin do on back-to-back points? Well, the first one is a 26-27-28 ball rally that ends on a not except, not exceptional, but very well-timed Julin drop shot. And that drop shot, Venus isn't able to track down. Julin notices that. Does it immediately again? Almost felt rude, but hey, don't hate the play. I hate the game. Uh, back-to-back drop shots to fight off those break points. She fights off a couple more. Ultimately, that is when the big backhand down the line comes as she holds 4-6-5. And then she was able to break Venus. And look, when Venus had time, she was she played bigger. Her, her weapons were bigger. Her ability to move forward was better and more efficient than what Julin did, but Julin was the more physical player, and Julin was just aggressive enough and was able to extend more than enough rallies that she was ultimately able to win out in a, what was, again, a really fun three-set match and very encouraging for Venus. you got to have some weapons if you want to beat this Venus. If you give her time, you know, she's still Venus freaking Williams, can strike the ball as well as ever, but as expected at this stage of her career, the physicality is a struggle. And credit to Julin for capitalizing on that fact. Again, with that in mind, rain, rain, go away. Come again another day. Hopefully that way I'll get the chance to enjoy more of Auckland. The other results, you know, as of this recording, Carolina Mukova's up on Elena Gabriela Russa. She is certainly someone, given her 
multiple second weeks at slams. If she's healthy, I don't care what the ranking says. No one's going to want to see her in week one of the event. Danka Kavinich, always a tough out. Good three-set win over Lauren Davis. Rebecca Masarova, nice follow-up win. She knocked off second seed Sloane Stevens in the round of uh, 32. Good win over Blinkova, one and four in the round of 16. Again, Goff, Kennan. Goff beats Kennan in straight sets. Didn't get the chance to watch it. I will chat about it. I promise more tomorrow. You look, though, elsewhere in Auckland. The results right now, we're still waiting on, you know, Fernandez versus Grebert, Marino versus Bonaventure, and thus the percentages are off, but as expected. You know, right now, Goff is the favorite. Mukova's actually next at 18.5%. And again, given her run in Ostrava and to end some of the events last year, or some of the events to end last year, excuse me, her pedigree record of success. You look as of right now in overall ELO rankings. Uh, let's see, Mukova currently ranks overall, interesting, 52. I'm surprised then that the numbers respect her as much as they do, uh, but they do. And so, and we do as well because we've seen her play when she's healthy. And so, again, Goff still alive. Mukova still alive. Leila Fernandez still alive. Uh, plenty. Amaratakanu still alive. She plays Victoria Kuzmova. Should have mentioned that match as well. Uh, plenty of juice still available in that Auckland draw. And again, the rain delayed that one. So I'll focus more on Auckland. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. When I talk about the India results, a couple of things have stood out of late. First of all, Aslan Karatsev looks excellent to start this 2022 uh, three season. Excuse me. We'll stop doing that at some point. But, you know, Karatsev 6-6 six and six over Tim Van Reithoven, who I thought played really well. And look, big picture, Van Reithoven, two deep, you know, long tiebreakers, 7-6, seven, 9-7 seven in the first, 7-6, 10-8 in the second. How do those two tiebreakers end? Van Reithoven overcooks a forehand that he had a massive opportunity on to end the first tie break, double faults to uh, end the match. Unfortunately, two sour notes, but the continued aggression of TVR. I mean, again, he's like 6-1, 6-2. His weapons are undeniable. When he has time on a forehand, you're just paralyzed as his opponent, and automatically he's going to have an opportunity to play some offense if he gets a clean look on that wing. I also really love, again, I mentioned he overcooked the forehand at the end of the first set. Well, down 4-5, he faced a match point at 30-40 in his service game. Hits that exact same forehand that he missed to end the first set tiebreak. Plays it with the exact same aggression as he played that ball, and this time he makes that forehand. In big picture, developing that mindset, that's how TVR makes a run in the top 100 throughout this portion of his career. Because again, I know his big breakthrough to the mainstream happened last year, but you look for Tim Van Reithoven entering this 2023 season. He's 27 years old. So, you know, it's time for things, 27 years old, excuse me. He is currently 25 years old. So it's time for him to get things moving as he moves towards the prime of his career. Still, that was a really high level, six and six match. And again, I don't want either Karatsev or Timmy Van Reithoven, neither of whom will be seated. I don't want any part of them 
early in the Australian Open because two guys with weapons who they just play on their terms. And credit to Karatsev who played on his terms in his service games and put enough returns in play, used his backhand length so well that ultimately he's through to a quarterfinal 6-6. Six and six. I mean, the big news from Punai yesterday, the fact that our top seeds got underway, Marin Cilic, Botik, Vandesen, Shkulp, both uh, beginning their 2023 seasons. You look for Cilic, it looked exactly like a first match should look. He was sloppy, came out hot, you know, overwhelmed Roberto Bautista Agut, excuse me, overwhelmed Roberto Carbeas Baina with just his overwhelming pace and got an early break, held on to it, then lost the thread momentarily. And credit to RCB for extending points into the outer thirds, getting Chilich moving. RCB takes the thir- uh, second set, 6-3, and then Chilich got back on track, 6-1 third set. Again, looked very much like a first match should for the top speed, who things will get tougher for now as he takes on Talon Griekspoor. For Botic, there was some renewed oomph in his forehand, and in each set against the talented young Italian Flavio Caboli, Botic went down breaks. I think he was down 4-2, and I actually think Caboli served for the first set before Botic got the break. Caboli was certainly up an early break in set number two before Botic got the break and got rolling. You know, Botic wasn't able to play the slices he likes to play because Kabuli's really good at finding forehands when you give him time and can swing through that forehand and create great depth and action on the ball when he has time to do so. And so Botic had to put on some pressure, had to swing through the ball more frequently. He's always going to move forward, show off his exceptional touch at the net. But that was a really hard fought and impressive 5-4 and four win for Botic, who, again, it just looked like it was a little easier for him to generate pace on that forehand wing than it looked at times last season. So I think that's a good opening match, 5-4 and four for Botic. And look, now he's got an even, I would say, a more comfortable matchup in the big lefty. Maximilian Martyrer, who just won't be quite as dynamic as Flavio Caboli, and he'll have a little bit more time to get into his bag of tricks. So that's a fun one, and look, it's a fun set of quarterfinals. Uh, shout out to a couple of seeds, Philip Krajanovic, three-set win, come from behind, 2-6-6, 3-6-4, win over Michael Moe. Moe just got a little too passive in sets three and four, didn't play with the freeness he played in the first set. Now, his physicality allowed him to remain competitive in every match, every set that he plays, but Kranovich was the one who decided when it was time to pull the trigger. And, you know, again, for Michael Moe, he stays in the top 100. The, the more aggressive he stays, the more time he spends in the top 100. Benjamin Bonzi, veterans guy, 1-6, sluggish start for Emil Rusevori to kick off his season, but it's one match. I'm not worried. Uh, Pedro Martinez, three-set win over Sebi Baez. That looked exactly like you think it did. And then again, Greek Spore over Chechenato. So, your matchups. Chilix Jagrikspor. It's the first time those two will face off. Martinez Karatsev. It's the first time those two will face off. Kranovic Bonzi. And uh, the first time they'll face off. And then Botic 1-0 in the career head-to-head against Maximilian Martyr for what it's worth. Chilich, 37.1% favored according to the singles forecast. Botic 25.7. Kranovic 14-3. Then a big gap to the rest of the five members of the field. So Chilich, Botic, really everyone else chasing after that. With that said, that's your update on your four tour level events, of course. Just want to offer some final thoughts, wrapping up what was Wednesday here in the United States, Thursday's play at the United Cup in Australia. 
let's start with Stefano Tsitsipas. He survives a three-set thriller against Borna Cioric, a win that ultimately helps propel Tsitsipas and Greece into the United Cup semifinals. Was a six-love first set for Stefano Tsitsipas before ultimately he drops the second seven-five, earns a uh, excuse me seven-six after earning a match point, earns a six-love six-seven-seven-five victory over Cioric, as everyone alluded to on Twitter. Things just get funky whenever those two step out on the court against one another. You look for Stefano Tsitsipas now in his career. I mean, he's played Borna Cioric more than a handful of times. You look overall career head-to-heads. He has faced Cioric now uh, five different times, two and three in the career head-to-head. But again, each of those matches had their own tales to tell. But look, for Tsitsipas, three-set win over Grigor, straight-set dominant win over Gofan, three-set win over Borna Cioric. It's exactly the warm-up you're looking for here for your Stefano Tsitsipas. And very quietly, Tsitsipas now 63-23 and 23 in his last 52 weeks. He's winning 73% of his matches. And, you know, he's been broken once per match in each of his three United Cup victories. Fought off five of the six break points that he faced. Won 75% of his first serves, making 64% of them throughout the match. That first forehand can be overwhelming. I love the fact that he earned the break back because he went down a break, was down 4-2 in that third set, earns the break back, but with an exceptional defensive play and a massive bump lob that draws the error from Chorich and then clinches the match on an overhead, a ball where an impressive backhand down the line forces Chorich to be on the run, and boy, is tennis world's just better when Borna Chorch is healthy because his athleticism extraordinary. Tsitsipas, though, moves in, hits an overhead off of Chorch's bump lob, something Chorch failed to do in affording Tsitsipas the break back. And Tsitsipas wins the match in three sets, offers just pure emotion, pure joy in his face after earning that victory uh, directly to the camera. And then I mean, look, the joy in Stefano Tsitsipas' face as he and Maria Sakkari clinch the, the, the rubber uh, over the Croatian team for Team Greece. He was on the verge of tears, and you can just see how much this team event means to him. And yes, Tsitsipas is not always the best messenger in delivering the message he tries to aspires to represent and present to the world. He's not always the most polished messenger, but I think you can tell via the emotions he feels, how much he cares about propelling his team forward, how much he cares about his teammates, how much he revels in the joy of the success of others. Isn't that indicative of a good person? And isn't that ultimately what matters when when you're assessing Stefano Tsitsipas? Just, again, on the verge of tears after he and Sakari clinch. United Cup ultimately means nothing. It's an inaugural event. Like, you're not getting points. It's not Fed Cup, Davis Cup, the history associated with that, or Hopman Cup even. Now, hopefully it eventually becomes an event of that stature, but it's just exceptional to see how much this means to these players. I mean, same for Matteo Berrettini and Team Poland versus Team Italy. I love that Italy bench as much as I like any team I have seen in sports throughout the course of the last 52 weeks and to see the coaching staff, how active and vocal they are. And, you know, again, the energy when Matteo Berrettini right away breaks Hubi Hurkacz, who was sloppy in that opening service game. You could feel the tension, the nerves in the arena. Berrettini goes unbroken, 
in that first set, serve, forehand, volleys, even the backhand, firing on all cylinders. Hercots then, of course, an outstanding second set, did a much better job taking his backhand up the line, being aggressive and forcing Berrettini to just play on the run, regardless of which wing it was. You know, you got a rare Hubie smile and a fist pump towards the bench. Iga going nuts as he split sets. And then Berrettini ultimately gets through in the third. One break of serve deciding it. Massive roar from Berrettini to the bench. You see they go nuts. We had to another deciding rubber where, look, give me Iga and anyone. And I'll take that mixed doubles team over any other mixed doubles team when it's a guy with the size, the volleying capability, you know, the creativity of a Hubie Hercots. That's going to be a really tough deciding rubber to any team that's not able to find three singles wins against Team Poland. And I mean, look, they take on Team uh, Team USA. Madison Keys hasn't lost a match. Team USA has lost two total rubbers. You know, Fritz can absolutely beat Hercots. He's only lost once. It was a three-set thriller to Nori. You feel like Tiafo should absolutely beat whomever plays two for Poland on that day. Now, Iga made a living beating Jessica Pagula in 2022, but since losing to Kvitova, Pagula's been nails, and certainly Keys will be a favorite over Lynette. And then even then, the mixed doubles team, whomever it would be for the U.S., Fritz Pagula, you throw in Madison. I mean, it's definitely going to be Pagula, but whether it's with Fritz, with Tiafo, you know, again, I'll, I'll take my chances. That That's a really fun team to take on, a Sviantek, Hercats duo, USA is the favorite. They're 13-2 and two in individual matches. They've been better than any other team. But uh, do you take – again, it's the best team versus the best player. And how many times in postseason play in other sports does the best player ultimately carry their team through the finish line? Buckle your seatbelts, folks. That's incredible. And then again, Greece versus Italy. Sakari, Bar- uh, Sakari Tsitsipas. Berrettini, Musetti, you feel like Musetti is a lock to put one point on the board. Berrettini with his serve into that Tsitsipas backhand, 6-6-6. Six, six, and six. Like, that's a pick em. Now, Sakari's a significant favorite over the number one singles player, Trevisan, who played really well against Iga, but still, Sakari's the overwhelming favorite in that match. You know, Papa Mikhail versus Bronzetti feels like a toss-up. You'd certainly favor Tsitsipas Sakari in the doubles, Greece goes in as the favorite because of the mixed doubles, because of the soccer. You feel better about those two points than anything else, but that match is a pick This is going to be a really fun ending to this 2023 United Cup. This inaugural event has, in my opinion, certainly encored, delivered the goods. So buckle your seatbelts, folks. It's going to be a really fun opening championship weekend of 2022 and three, uh, 2023. Leave it in. I want to feel shame for my mistakes for now. With that said, I promise weekend podcast to open this season. That's what I'm going to deliver for all of you listeners. Again, I apologize that I date these podcasts the day before they actually come out. That's just because I'm on the West Coast doing some work for T2. Shout out, though, to the super producer, Daniel Westa, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Again, college tennis previews over on the GSP final episode coming this Friday. Be on the lookout for that. Of course, a shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point as well, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.